Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast. The Appearance Psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Jade. And I'm Nadia. And in preparation for Valentine's Day, we have a timely episode this month on the role appearance plays in romantic relationships. Yes, seeing as love is very much in the air (laughs) at this time of year, we've decided to treat our listeners to a heart-racing episode on appearance and romantic relationships, focusing specifically on intimacy and romantic relationships when you have a visible difference or an altered appearance. Well, you're full of puns today, aren't you, Jade? Well, when (laughs) opportunity knocks, they say. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Anyway... We're very excited to be joined this episode by Sylvia Mack, a blogger, campaigner and swimming teacher for those with an altered appearance and a general promoter of body confidence for people with a visible difference. Yep, along with Cara's very own Nick Shower, aka Dr Love, <laughs> who will discuss his research on intimacy and romantic relationships with people who have a visible difference. Yeah, Nick's going to love that. Um, so we've got a jam-packed episode for, for you all. So you may or may not be pleased to hear that. It's going to be less of us talking this time. Always pleased to hear your voice though, Nadia. Um, <laughs> but you're right, we need to get a jiffy on so we can get on to our fabulous guests. Sure. So as a very quick introduction, visible difference can be a result of either a congenital abnormality. Also known as birth defects. Um, illnesses or accidents. Exactly. And if you want to find out more on the topic of visible difference, have a listen to our earlier episode on visible difference, which was episode number... Five. Thank you. Plus, there are episodes on burns and breast cancer and body image, which you can check out if you haven't already. Yeah. So, Statistics from Changing Faces, a UK-based charity, show approximately 1 in 111 young people in the UK have a significant visible difference to their face, and 1 in 44 have a visible difference on other body parts. Which, in relation to this episode, poses an interesting question about whether a person's difference is on show or not, and if that impacts a person's experience of romantic relationships. Yeah, and, in fact, research by Cars Catherine Griffiths, Heidi Williamson and Nicola Rumsey in 2012 reported adolescents found covering up their difference helpful in the short term, as they feared rejection if they disclosed their difference early in the relationship. But and this is a big but, Um, in the longer term, concealment just increased anxiety because they felt compelled to reveal their condition once the relationship had developed and worried that revealing their difference may make their partner see them more negatively or even just end the relationship as a result. Mm. And I won't say much more on this topic, though, as I actually have a special clip to play later where Sylvia discusses that exact point. Oh, interesting. Excited to hear that. Mm. Uh, Another study published in 2010 called Sex and the Skin. Ooh, good title. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the authors, Megan and colleagues, spoke to 62 people with acne, psoriasis and eczema found that these conditions reduced participants' self-perceived sexual attractiveness, lowered their self-confidence and led to individuals fearing and avoiding intimate situations. Interesting, as these conditions actually can be quite common, mm-hmm. um, but it's worth noting that there hasn't been a lot of research around intimacy and visible differences, so we don't currently have lots to report on this. Yeah, you're right, which is why the work of people like Nick have, have an important role in helping us understand further the impact of living with a visible difference can have on intimacy. Definitely. So, less of us, and on to our guests. First up, we have Sylvia Mack, who discusses her personal experience living with an altered appearance and its impact on her romantic relationships. 
Hi Sylvia, it's great to have you on Appearance Matters, the podcast. Um, for those that do not know, could you explain about the accident you had as a child? Yeah, when I was just three years old, uh, I fell backwards into boiling water. Being a, the youngest of five girls, we was just playing around in, in the flat and my mum used to boil water and put it on the bathroom floor, which she then would add to the bath so we could all have a bath later on. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, the electric ran out, so my mum had to boil the water. Being told not to go in the bathroom and three years old, playing hide-and-seek, I decided that I would go into the bathroom because I was told not to go in there, so I went in there anyway. Yeah. I thought it would be a great hiding place. When I was in there, um, shut the door, and my sister come and pushed the door, and as she pushed it, I fell backwards into the boiling water, um, which caused third and fourth degree burns, and I ended up on life support. Wow. That's, you know, a very harrowing kind of story. And what sort of impact did this have on you as a person and upon your life in general then? Um, It really, it was quite bad, actually, throughout my life. It was almost like going through something, but accepting that this is how life was going to be and you couldn't actually change it so literally through school relationships going to work family life everything it had an effect on the whole of my life and and I felt like this was it for me that there was nothing else I could change and I better deal with it Mm. And, and and that's exactly how I went about my life I always put everyone above me so everyone was at an higher level and I was always underneath them. And I was almost childlike that I, I couldn't, you know, really talk to people on a level. So I managed to just hide myself away most of the time. I was quite shy and um, I just couldn't go, you know, I, I couldn't sit exams. I wouldn't put my hands up in class. Mm-hmm. I was quite shy. I wouldn't go to, into job interviews. You know, I found it very difficult in relationships uh, and it just all had a knock-on effect throughout the whole of my life. Yeah, it's really interesting how it can have an impact on so many different elements, um, like you're saying. And kind of now, you're very active with your Love This Figure website, social media campaigns, the Swimathon and um, regular swimming lessons that you do. So what changed or motivated you to do all of this now then? Which is fabulous, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it, it's taken me 45 years of my life, actually. Um, and I don't know if it's when you get to a certain age in your life, you just think, oh, God, I want to do this, that and that. Yeah. But um, I think really it was it, it was because I now have a grandchild and I started to think about my family. I, I was crying more and more every day mm-hmm. and I couldn't think why, why I was crying so much. But it, it, it was just all of the build-up of everything realizing that I was a complete failure throughout my life I'd failed at everything that I'd done and that now was the time to change it so I decided to change it by firstly when I was on holiday with my mum I I noticed that a a man was videoing me and my my daughter had bought me a bikini and I decided to put the bikini on so after this guy had videoed me and I was quite upset. I said to my mum, you know, I think he's going to put that on YouTube. He's going to say this is the burnt lady. And I was really paranoid because it, calls, it can cause paranoia. You always think mm. if someone's behind you talking or laughing, they're laughing or talking about me. Even, I mean, this happens every day throughout my life. Even though my scars were not like on display, mm. I would still believe that people were laughing at me. Um, are talking about me so it it was a real build-up of paranoia 
Um, and then I said to my mum, okay, let, let's, well, my mum suggested we went to the beach and I thought, okay, I'm going to put this bikini on, but I'll put, you know, a dress over the top. And we got to the beach and I realised that my mum was so sad and she kept asking me about my scars. And, and it was that moment I thought, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm on holiday. I don't want to ruin my mum's holiday. I can see she's sad by what has just occurred by the swimming pool. Yeah. So I'm going to do something about it. So I went down to the water's edge and I literally pulled off my dress and I shouted out, Mum, Mum, look at me. And I started to pose. I had my hands on my hips and I was posing. And I said, look, this is it. You know, and I went back over to her and I said, Mum, everything's okay. We're going to be okay now. And she knew what I meant. And she just had the biggest smile on her face. And it just changed everything for me. You know, we ended up having a great holiday. Then I went back home and I decided that now I've got to do something. I've got to carry this on. Mm. And, um, and from that, I approached my cousin and I said to him, you know, I've had a really crap life, not been happy. I've been suffering, you know, with depression and anxiety and just everything that has just been so bad. And I, I want to do something about it. I want to help others. And um, he said to me, OK, well, how about we make a video? Would you like to do that? And I said, yes. And it was from that video, it was so raw, it was the first time that I'd actually spoken about how I felt. And even my own family didn't actually know that that's what I was going through. They just thought I was okay throughout my life. Um, because we never sat down and actually spoke about it the way that I'd spoken about it on the video. Really? And, um, and at the end, I revealed my scars and, um, you know, everyone that I knew came to me and said wow we did not know that you you was burnt we don't know and it was it was so surprising all the um comments and the feedback and everything that I got I thought this is it now I've got to keep this going yeah. and I'm gonna you know I'm, I seem to be helping people from what I've done and I'm gonna just keep going with it now and and if I can be a great role model or or an inspiration to others that's what I'm gonna do because I feel like this will be the the change that I need in my life. Definitely, and like, what a great role model you are, and people definitely <laughs> thank you. do look up to you. And so, thank you for your honesty <laughs> with that as well. And we know that going yeah. swimming and kind of wearing a swimming costume actually is something mm. that people often mention as being quite challenging in terms of like yeah. when they have appearance-altering conditions. Um, yeah. And another thing that is sometimes spoken about as being quite challenging is intimacy and romantic relationships, which obviously is what this episode's yeah. on. Um, so yeah. has the way you looked ever had an effect on how you feel or felt about romantic or intimate relationships in your life then? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, every, every relationship that, that I had sort of would last for one or two days. It, it was ridiculous, really. Right. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, couldn't have a relationship because the only thing that I'd ever thought about was that the person that I was with, if they was to to just feel my burns through my clothes, mm. which most people can because even though they look very smooth, I've got very deep contractures and, and you can feel, like I've spoke about, they're like ropes going throughout my back and mm. they can feel that. So, I mean, there was an instance when I went out and I've spoken about it before where I was dancing with a guy and, and he was rubbing his hands up and down the, my scars and he thought that I was wearing a basque or a corset and he, and he said it to me, and I just walked away, and, and I thought, no, I can't actually dance with a guy ever again because of that. But there were so many different instances throughout my life where I just thought, you know, I'm not worthy to be in a relationship. This on my body is not right, not what I want, 
and um, no, I'm never going to be in a relationship. I'll probably never have children. I'll never get married. I mean, I was told all this from bullies <laughs> first off anyway, but this built up in my head and, and I thought there was no way that I'd ever be, be happy in a relationship ever. Mm. So do you feel that your appearance made more of a difference when you were looking for a relationship or perhaps like when you were in a established relationship later on? Not really. I feel like my appearance, well, I'd say with with regard to relationship, yes, it did. It it was both really. At the beginning, prior to a relationship, um, I'd always be thinking, you know, I want to be in a relationship, but, you know, what kind of person would want me? So it was to the point where I was actually, when I was in a relationship, it was almost like self-abuse. It was like I, I could have, not anyone, but anyone could have me, basically. So it was never based on love. Yeah. It was based on, on probably something more intimate than that, thinking, well, if I'm never going to be in a relationship, then anyone can abuse me. So most of the time I had really bad relationships mm. and they weren't good. And, you know, and I was abused by them and um, and it wasn't nice. So when I finally found um, the person that was right for me, he was actually my very best friend mm. and spoke about my scars. And to be able to talk to somebody about your scars and then they say, actually, can I have a look? Can I have a touch? And it was just wonderful. And I knew then that this was the right person for me. But I think the problem that we have is that we put ourselves very low on the scale think that we're never going to be in a relationship whereas there's always somebody out there for for us you know there'll always be someone out there you don't really need to be looking because eventually you will find you're sure to find love you know if somebody loves you for you then that's the person you want to be with but if someone just comes along and or you're you're found somebody and they don't accept your um, condition or your appearance then that's not the right person to be with Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that kind of goes for anyone, really, as well, in terms of acceptance and finding the right person. Um, And also, you do explain very beautifully in a BBC News report about how your ex-partner accepted you and your burns and was welcoming, like you said. And has, you know, the relationship you had with your ex-partner, did that have any effect on how you feel about yourself and your appearance afterwards or during? I think I just went on, um, even though, you know, I actually found love, Mm. And and her children, it it was obviously it was great time. It was a great time in my life. But um, knowing that I still had this thing on my body and and it had affected me all my life, that was never going to change. Yeah. Um. I needed something more than that. And actually, all the tears and me hiding away had an effect on my own family, on my own children, because they could see that when I was upset, they could see when I was sad, and they knew why I was abusing myself with alcohol. Uh, most of the time and this obviously had a, a detrimental effect on my children and so now when I look back and I think I've damaged them actually they're really great kids and, yeah. and, and you know they're doing wonderfully in life and I'm really pleased about that and they do look up to me now which is great but um, just to feel that you know the way that what has happened to me throughout my life if I can actually be damaging other people that's not a good thing and, and that needs to change. Mm. Uh, I definitely agree. And could you say um, whether you feel that your scars have ever had any impact on your relationship with your ex-partner then when you were with him? No, he, he never ever um, 
he's never said anything mm. bad. In fact, he was great because he'd rub cream on them. He'd rub my back when I was in pain. And I've been in pain literally every day of my life. <laughs> so yeah. it's something that I've got used to, mm. you know. But he's always been there to support me when I needed support, when I went to hospital appointments, you know, when I needed that rub or, you know, the cream and everything. He was always there to do all that for me. So he's always supportive. And I, I knew that I could talk to him about my scars. But even though I spoke to him about it, I was always going to feel, you know, a bit rubbish and not so good throughout my life because I felt like I was a bit of a failure because of the scars. Right. And, and of course, you did say, like, you, you felt open to speak to him about him. Mean, you're still best friends with him now kind of thing. So did yeah. you ever, Yeah. So did you ever want to or feel like you could discuss with him about, you know, your scars? Even now, do you feel like that's something you can openly discuss with him? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a good friend. Oh, that's good to hear. And last question for you as well, Sylvia. What um, would you say to others with a visible difference of any kind who are actually looking for love? Um, I'd, I'd say to them not to work too hard to go and look for love yeah. because it will come along, it will happen. And as I said before, that if, if somebody accepts you for the way you look, they shouldn't be loving you for you and how you look. So not to, you know, not to worry and not to go out looking because sometimes, like as I said, we go out and we look and we end up finding someone that's going to abuse us because they can pick up on yeah. on our low self-esteem and our lacking confidence and they can pick up on that and then they begin to abuse us and it's not a good thing so you know there's always somebody out there that will love you for you great way to finish that no that's excellent <laughs> and great advice as well thank you so much Sylvia for being on the podcast it's thank great you. to have you thank you what an uplifting interview. Yeah, I loved her honesty, and even with the topic of intimacy, which can be, well, intimate, um, she's very open, plus I think regardless of whether you have a visible difference or not, you can take away some great messages that are to do with relationships in general. Yeah, absolutely. So now on to our next guest, Carl's Nick Sharrett. Nick is studying for a PhD, exploring romantic relationships and visible difference and is also now, drumroll, a research fellow under the Vocational Training Charitable Trust Foundation. Hi Nick, thank you for joining us on Appearance Matters podcast. I'm very much looking forward to hearing how your research maps on to Sylvia's experiences. Oh, hi Nadia, thank you for having me. Cool, so why don't we dive right in and start with, Sylvia spoke about her difference, her burn injury, having a fundamental impact on many areas of her life for a long time. How common is this with people with a visible difference? Sure. Before touching that, I'd just like to say thank you to Sylvia and to everyone who takes part in our research for sharing their experiences and their lives with us. We do appreciate it. Um, and it's, it's certainly clear that Sylvia's burn seems to exert a significant impact on her life. I think if you listen to her account, she included reference to feeling inferior to other people, being shy and lacking self-confidence, reduced self-esteem, uh, depression, feeling anxious, um, being paranoid, as she said, or being hypersensitized to the looks of others, so believing that she's always under scrutiny when perhaps sometimes she's not been, and also not being able to confide in others. So the research suggests that most of these issues will be familiar, but to a significant minority of those with a visible difference, certainly not to everyone and I think that's an important point to note that 
we're not talking about everybody who has an altered appearance when we're talking about these uh, challenges that people may face. Sure, yeah, it's hard to imagine listening to Sylvia now and knowing all the stuff that she she does, that that's, that was her experience. Sure, I mean, she runs the Love Disfigure campaign and website, she organises and participates in the public swimming sessions for those with visible difference, she posts on social media, including pictures of herself in swimwear, which I certainly don't do. Um, she's featured on the BBC website, um, she's spoken on Women's Hour on Radio 4, on 5 Live, and now mm-hmm. on the podcast, of course. But obviously Sylvia's scarring itself hasn't changed. And I think this really reinforces the point made in the literature that psychological and social difficulties are not necessarily related to the nature of a visible difference, to a kind of objective measure of its severity, or to the location on the body in which it may sit. All of these remained constant in Sylvia's case. Um, And as the research suggests, it's kind of the individual's subjective assessment and perceptions of their appearance, how important and how fundamental to their sense of self and their self-concepts it is, uh, their disposition, their kind of optimism or pessimism, um, the availability of social support and their coping styles. These might all be slightly more important in predicting adjustment than these more physical and biomedical kind of criteria. Um, That obviously suggests that these Kind of challenges may be amenable to psychological and social intervention as well as dispelling any contention that it's objective severity that is important. But obviously it's really important to acknowledge that not everyone's able to adopt behaviours like Sylvia and it's not necessarily easy to do so. Um, and likewise, uh, we don't want to say that real stigma doesn't exist. Um, Sylvia herself struggled for, for many, for many years. Sure, sure, of course. So I know that your research is focused on people with a visible difference and their romantic lives, their romantic relationships. So was there anything that Sylvia said about her feelings and experiences of her romantic life that mirrored what um, you found within your research? Sure, definitely. Um, I think a lot resonated. And for, for context, uh, I can um, draw on perhaps, what, 22 people who I interviewed who had a variety of visible differences including cleft lip and palate, alopecia, uh, breast cancer, birthmarks, scarring and dermatological conditions Mm -hmm. said to me and consider how that is similar to Sylvia's account. So Sylvia asked the question or posed the question, who would want me? Um, Which is something which a number of my participants did, really implying that appearance is considered central to attractiveness and that Having a visible difference can diminish your perceived worth as a partner as you don't conform to social ideals or expectations about appearance. Um, And for some people, this was the single biggest concern or the greatest challenge that they described in connection with their their appearance. Indeed, many or a good number of participants seem to go beyond the kind of concern about other people's perceptions and feel personally devalued or that their worth was diminished because of how they look Um, and obviously Sylvia mentioned having very low self-esteem and perhaps internalizing the messages received from others in Sylvia's account that was bullies I think that she she referenced Um, some of my participants spoke about having to offer something else instead of their appearance to a potential partner so this could be their sense of humor uh, Mm -hmm. a good education a good job wealth, relative youth, um, uh, exercising so that their physique could perhaps compensate for this perceived deficiency in their 
appearance, suggesting our relationships are perhaps some kind of exchange or bargain where we both offer something to one another and try and find a, a balance. That's interesting. Nick, can I just ask, were all your participants women or, or were they both male and female? Sure, no, that's a good question. I spoke to 16 women and 6 men, so more uh-huh. more women than men. We tend to find uh, we get more of a response from women than men mm-hmm. to our research. Um, so the male voice and experience is represented, but perhaps not as strongly as the, the female one. Cool. So, And did anything else stand out at all? Sure, um, yeah, I think that... Sylvia's account of the uh, scene in the disco where a dance partner felt her back through her clothing um, did kind of uh, make my ears prick up. Some people who I spoke to in the interviews whose difference was normally um, disguised by perhaps a, a hairpiece or by clothing or by makeup spoke about the difficulty of telling a new partner or a potential partner about their difference, almost kind of breaking an illusion or dispelling a myth or and this is the way it was spoken about kind of admitting or confessing that they weren't quite the person they were presenting themselves as when participants hadn't done this or before doing so they almost considered themselves to be dishonest and to kind of owe a duty to that other person to tell them again hinting at how important perhaps we think appearances to relationships and this kind of moment of disclosure really was associated with uncertainty and anxiety about how and when to do it. People described doing it in a car at the end of the date so that if there was a bad reaction, they could walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, doing it remotely so that if there was um, an unpleasant response from the other person, it wasn't as uh, damaging or hurtful. And doing it via kind of humour or stories. So it was kind of um, it was a moment that Sylvia didn't proceed with in this relationship. If Sylvia had have uh, continued the fledgling relationship with this dance partner, she may have had to experience this uh, this kind of disclosure dilemma, as I call it. Also really interesting that she described her ex-partner as a friend before they got together. Um, some of my participants said that they would have to be friends with somebody before proceeding towards right. a relationship because it would need to be someone they trust already, someone who has knowledge of their difference already, and therefore perhaps that they know is not going to reject them on that basis mm-hmm. and is not going to hurt them um, because they respond badly to to the kind of revelation of their of their difference. Sure, sure, I can see that. And then on the subject of ex-partners, I was um, I found it particularly concerning to hear Sylvia talk about how she felt um, and almost kind of leaving herself exposed to bad or um, even abusive historic relationships. Did any participants in your research have similar experiences? Yeah, unfortunately that's not the first time I've heard that. Um, I think Sylvia said that she felt that anyone could have could have her. Um, she was open for abuse and bad relationships and she had some experience of those, which was obviously very sad to, to hear. Um, although it was a very small minority of my participants, I did hear a similar uh, story from people who felt devalued in their own eyes and in the eyes of other people. Um, when they did have a partner, they described feeling very lucky or very fortunate, as if it perhaps wasn't deserved, um, which may kind of create an imbalance in the power of in a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, leave someone vulnerable to poor treatment in extreme cases, abuse, or just to accepting kind of an unsatisfying relationship or settling for what they can get rather than what they 
one and maintaining a relationship beyond the point at which they think they would have otherwise have uh, ended it. Indeed, I think uh, three of my 22 participants actually said they got married to someone that, with hindsight, they don't think they would have married were it not for their for their difference. Mm, that's interesting. But then Sylvia's experience with her ex-partner seemed to be much more positive. Yeah, definitely. And she expressed some familiar ideas here. Receiving support from a partner was really valued by my participants. Um, and in some cases, they were able to conceptualise the partner's response to their appearance as being a test of that person or of the potential for the relationship to develop if the response or their action was unsupportive or unsympathetic or, or worse. Um, then obviously it suggests that relationship was not likely to proceed. But perhaps more importantly, they were able to take that as being a bad indication of the other person rather than a deficiency or a failure on their own part. So it kind of represented a shift in responsibility from the individual being responsible and having to conform to a certain appearance ideal and to look a certain way to the other person to be a bit more accepting and compassionate. I think people might sometimes expect some negative initial judgments or reactions but once you're talking about a specific individual someone that they know and have some kind of fledgling relationship with they're able to expect a little bit better treatment from them Mm -hmm. and to move responsibility from themselves to the other person. Sylvia also spoke about being able to talk in and confide with her ex-partner and him sharing in the application of uh, cream onto her onto her scars. Mm -hmm. This kind of similar to something I heard from someone with alopecia whose partner took part in the kind of regular shaving of her head and could almost be like an intimate exchange on its own. I think exchanges like this, uh, sharing intimate information and um, experiences and feeling that you've been accepted for who you are rather than what you look like could really help strengthen relationships and gave some of my participants a real confidence in the legitimacy and the depth and the kind of um, future of their relationship. So although they may have experienced concern and challenges early on in their relationships, once they progressed, a good number of participants were able to see the difference as having exerted a positive influence upon their romantic lives as well, which I think is uh, certainly important to acknowledge. And we don't want to just focus on negative consequences and challenges. Mm-hmm. Sure, and thanks for sharing some of that with us, Nick. And it sounds like there's some real parallels between Sylvia's account and um, those of your participants. Yes, there is, which is always uh, good to hear for anyone doing <laughs> qualitative work, definitely. Yeah, cool. So tell me tell me what's next for you. What, what have you got lined up? Sure. Well, I've used the uh, interview findings to develop a scale focusing on the main challenges associated with visible difference and romantic relationships. And I've collected responses to a long-form version of that scale or that measure. Mm -hmm. Um, Analysing these responses suggested that there were three main areas that people felt were important in connection with visible difference in romantic relationships. And these were essentially being negatively evaluated and facing the judgment of others, feeling a sense of physical and sexual self-consciousness, which is something that we haven't touched on, but which Mm -hmm. is certainly an issue for, for a number of people. Um, and then being able to receive support and understanding from a partner. So these, these are the sort of three most important domains. Using those, I've made a shortened version of the measure, and I'm now collecting more data in order to further validate it. And I'll be speaking about the, this process of developing the scale at the forthcoming Appearance Matters 8 in June this year. 
Um, I am currently writing up my PhD and also have just been fortunate enough to start a position in CAR within the Vocational Training Charitable Trust Foundation funded programme where I'll be looking to develop some interventions uh, focusing on romantic relationships and uh, physical intimacy and visible difference. Yeah, it's great news. I'm really glad that research is continuing. Oh, thank you. Um, and thank you for joining us on the podcast, Nick. Oh, thanks for having me, Nadia. Thank you. Brilliant. And in the interview, Nick mentioned he is developing a scale. So if you would like to participate in the study, which will essentially help to create this measure, please click on the studies link in our show notes. Yeah, so Jade, where's this special clip you mentioned? Ah, yes, thanks for reminding me. Um, so, as we questioned earlier, does having a visible difference on show versus being less visible have an impact on intimacy? Well, I asked Sylvia, along with an extra question I did throw in there. So, let's listen to what Sylvia has to say. My disfigurement or my, my difference is on my back, it's on my body. And throughout life, I've gone onto the websites, looked through Google, looked for help, and I found like there was never any help for me. Yeah. And, and this is when I decided that by changing my mindset, my positive thinking, my positive way of thinking, then I can change my life. And that is what I did. And many people said to me, why do you believe or worry about the way you look? Because it's not on your face. And I always said, it didn't matter whether it was on my face or not, I knew it was on my body. So this was always going to cause a problem mm. um, up here in my head because I knew it was on my body. And, and so, understandably, a lot of people with facial disfigurement may have to deal with that on a daily basis and it's a terrible thing for them to do. Uh, but when it is on your body and you're having to cover it up, it's almost like a secret and then you can't talk about it. And by hiding it away and not being able to talk about it, it causes so much, prob so many difficulties and problems throughout your life. Um, and this is what I did, um, which is why, you know, just recently when I actually revealed my scars, people that I've known for a lifetime didn't actually know that I had scars. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted to, to um, address that, that it is important that people with bodily disfigurement as well as facial disfigurement do suffer, whether they're showing their scars or not. I do have a question though, in terms of when yeah. you did reveal it, how did that make you feel when you when you did finally kind of say, you know, reveal your secret that you'd had for so long? Yeah, I mean, it, it was wonderful. It, it was almost like I've had this coat on for years mm. and I could finally take it off and say, I'm here. I've changed so much. I was such a negative person. I never believed in any positivity in my life anyone that, that was being positive in life I used to just cut them down and I was not a nice person I was horrible about everything and I was horrible to everyone I upset my family and I realized this just had a knock-on effect throughout my life and by changing my way of thinking now and and being positive about everything I do it's just a whole new outlook on life I've got new friends new beginnings and it's just wonderful to know that people do actually look up to me and they do inspire to be like me and I say to them you know you can do this too and I continue to encourage people you know my Facebook group has grown to almost 3,000 people within one year yeah and and I just, just like people to know that that you can do this yeah. you know you can encourage other people and change your mindset and it happened for me just within you know 
a couple of days it happens but yeah you know it does take it can take years but it does happen if you can just sit and put your your mind to it yeah yeah and you're a testimony to that and it's such a lovely story and it's really yeah, great for you. other people to hear thank you <laughs> What a great way to finish. Mm -hmm. Don't think I could have said it better myself. And that brings us to the end of this episode. So many thanks to Sylvia and to Nick for speaking to us and shedding light on this heartfelt topic. (laughs) You can find a link to Sylvia's website, Love to Figure, in our show notes. Who's pulling out the puns now, eh? Well. (laughs) Anyway, in true Valentine's style, please share the love and follow us on SoundCloud. You can even give us five stars on iTunes if you want to be extra loving and generous. And a final, but important, yes, thing to mention, Wednesday the 28th of February is the deadline for early bird registration for Appearance Matters 8. So get registering now. And if you've missed the abstract deadline, you can still submit for a late-breaking research poster. And that's the end of this episode. Join us next time for episode number 25. Whoa. (laughs) 